0: The Emerald Couch Podcast is a weekly conversation with Dr. LaKeitha Poole, a licensed professional counselor in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, about all things mental health and personal growth. The Emerald Couch Podcast is the go-to pop-site dialogue for self-help, good laughs, and real talk. This podcast is not meant to be a substitute for seeking support from a licensed mental health professional and is for educational and entertainment purposes only. For more information about counseling and therapeutic services, or for assistance in connecting with a therapist in your area, visit our website at www.smalltalkcounseling.com. Let's start the show. everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Emerald Couch. Um, thank you guys again for continuing to listen and to support. Um, I know if you're listening now, you've already done this, but if you haven't or if you need to share this with a friend, make sure that you've subscribed to iTunes and SoundCloud. Um, follow us on Instagram um, and like us on Facebook if you haven't already. And all of those are Go Small Talk Counseling or just Small Talk Counseling. And we've been seeing more of you engage with the blog, so definitely keep that up. Um, For those who haven't maybe seen what we have to offer on our website, you can check that out at www.smalltalkcounseling.com. So today, uh, we are kicking off episode nine of the Emerald Couch, and um, I kind of alluded to this a little bit in episode eight that... I was thinking my next topic would be around this issue or concern and I just decided to do it. So so that's what we're doing. Um, So today we'll be talking about financial wellness. And so this topic came up last week in reference um, to preparations for uh, family members who maybe are left behind um, after someone passes away. And how do you think about that now? Well, one of the things that comes up and I even know, Um, with some of my friends even now while we consider ourselves to still be relatively young a lot of folks don't think about um, sort of financial preparations um, beyond today or maybe beyond this month's paycheck and so um, getting out of and breaking some of those habits in an effort to try to build generational wealth I think is important so um, I thought it would be really good to talk about it it also was something that came up during our conversation um, around wellness and balance. So when we talked about kind of those six areas um, that make up wellness and that contribute to our overall well-being, um, financial wellness was definitely one of them. And so I figured it might be a good idea to have a whole episode dedicated to that to really talk about it. However, I am not the expert. Um, I definitely know that if I have a limitation um, in any area, I'm gonna go to folks that can help and assist with that because that is what they do. And so I'm very fortunate to have one of my close and most dearest friends who works in a financial service field and who can definitely speak more and probably much better than I could about financial wellness and what it means to really be able to work on this as as an area that definitely needs to be uh, at the forefront for certain folks to be able to think about how to move themselves forward in in that area. So I'm super, super excited to have another guest with me, my first guest in a little while. So Mr. Adam Tolliver, who works as a financial representative with New York Life. Adam and I actually are college uh, classmates, but we're friends uh, as well. And he actually is my financial planner, financial service rep. And so Um, I trust him both as a friend, but also as a professional, and I'm really excited to have him here today. So, like I mentioned, I have my good, good, good friend, Mr. Adam Tolliver, here, Um, and Adam, why don't you just say hi and obviously let people know kind of what you do. I told them your title of financial service rep with New York Life, but maybe people won't know what that is. Sure. So, first of all, I'm very happy to be here. I appreciate you inviting me. Uh, As a
1: financial services rep, um, so when you are dealing with people in the Mm -hmm. financial services industry, you will hear a lot of different titles. Um, Often, most often, you're going to hear financial advisor, which actually has a a real definition, but the waters have been kind of muddied on what they are. Mm -hmm. To an extent, it's sort of technical and doesn't actually matter in the marketplace. The biggest thing to, to know is what the person that you work with actually does and is capable of
2: doing mm-hmm. so what I do is work with people in the areas of risk management which is insurance mm-hmm. um, so that's life insurance health insurance disability
1: insurance and long-term care insurance mm-hmm. um, I work in accumulation or wealth accumulation which is investing so that's stocks, bonds, mutual funds. Um, and then I work in retirement planning, which is arranging qualified plans like IRAs, giving um, advice and analysis on 401Ks and how, how the different retirement vehicles you have will marry together um, as you are entering into that phase of your life and, and hopefully passing on a legacy to the, to the next generation and your family.
0: Yeah, you definitely explained that way better than I could because um, there's so many, I think, parts that come with when people think of finances, they sometimes only think of like having a savings account and that's it. They don't recognize that, you know, wealth building and retirement and all these other components really contribute to being like financially stable, but also like financially secure and then growing your finances, too. So I definitely hope people we're listening and sort of the different ways in which finances play a role, um, but also the different ways in which someone like you could help them. So yeah, yeah, so when obviously you have tons of clients, you work with lots of people, I'm one of your clients. And um, oftentimes, I know even for me, just in like conversations with friends, or I even think about like us all being in college, I definitely was not thinking about wealth building when we were in school. I think we all wanted to be rich, but I never, I don't think that we thought about, you know, what that would take. And so these days, even folks our age often avoid talking about money and finances. So why do you think that is? Whether it's our generation or older generations, what do you think? keeps people from talking about money and finances um to to a large
1: extent i think it is cultural um it in in a lot of people's households it is sort of taboo to discuss money Mm -hmm. um particularly is the case in situations where money is relatively scarce Mm -hmm. Uh, but but i want to be clear that it's not limited to those situations um some, some people just think it's sort of um, inappropriate to broach the subject. And I think what happens is you move along further in life having never really learned the basics of money. And then you're just sort of thrown to the wolves um, to figure it out by trial and error as you go. And at some point, there's a good, a good bit of shame mm-hmm. and discomfort that comes. Um, to any association with the conversation because you're thinking to yourself well I'm a I'm a fully functioning adult and I've been to school and I've got a job and I've got a family mm-hmm. and I don't really know anything about money and it just becomes more and more uncomfortable to confront because
2: you feel like you should know yeah. but you,
1: um, and I think there's an intimidation factor um, so no one that, you know, you don't want to sit down with a professional who knows this seemingly foreign language than you do and be taken advantage of.
2: Mm-hmm. You don't
1: want to feel like you're not equipped to have that conversation and be comfortable in it. Um, and so I think that, that's, that's a lot of what it has to do. And, and then there's the, the very real um, thing. I compare it sort of to going to the doctor. How, you know, sometimes some cultures they don't want to go because if something's wrong, they don't want to
0: know. <laughs> yeah. um, and
1: so, you know, they, they,
0: it's just sort of this avoidance factor. Um, mm-hmm. And people tend to do that a lot with their money as well. Yeah. I mean, that definitely makes sense, particularly the point that you gave about, you know, most folks who are, you know, working or young professionals or building their career. There's this piece that like, oh, well, maybe somewhere along the way I should know this. And so asking about it seems maybe you know taboo or like you said there's like a shame or intimidation factor of like how come I don't know this and I have to go sit down with this stranger and kind of divulge these things about me so they can help me come up with a plan i could totally see how fear or just self doubt about not knowing could keep people from from doing that yeah absolutely so then how do we start these conversations so like when should people start thinking about finances and like how should they approach it i guess both as an individual and then like you said there's some cultural and generational barriers in there too so when when and how should people start um so the the
1: big thing and and i would say the biggest opportunity is always to to catch people young so just a a message to those of you who you know have small children um or have younger people in your life that you care about sometimes you can teach uh teach valuable, tangible lessons by teaching broader concepts as opposed to being right on the nose. And so one of the things is just having early conversations about value and choices Mm -hmm. um, and opportunity cost. So, you know, when you give a child an allowance, it doesn't matter how small or how big it is. So if it's five dollars, they have a choice about what they can do with that five dollars and helping them understand that choice Mm -hmm. um can be relatively easy so saying you know well you Mm -hmm. want to do two things you want to buy candy or this toy or you want to do this or you know and you can make the comparison well which of these is more important to you and why is it more important so there you're having a value conversation Mm -hmm. to get them to start thinking about what's important to them and what's going to be the outcome if i choose to go one way or the other with this money that I have.
2: Yeah. And that
1: sound very basic, but um, so much of what we do with our finances boils down to what we value and what habits we built. And, um, and so one of the hard habits that I always talk to about all my clients is saving a fixed percentage of the money that you bring in, no matter what source it comes from, and no matter how much it is, if someone, if you're saving ten percent of everything you earn, that means if someone hands you a dollar, you should try to save a dime. Um, and so, whether it's from your paycheck or it's from, you know, some some personal item that you sold to make a little extra money, whatever it is, if you if you're building systems into your life that can help modify your behavior and habits, it'll be a good place to get to start um, to start to get some some financial normalcy and building towards having fixed habits that build your wealth mm-hmm. um as far as the conversations around wealth that is something of course like i was just saying the earlier the better mm-hmm. um but the the big thing is you have to give yourself permission you have to forgive yourself for for not having those basics um it, it is. It going back to the shame conversation. It, it is really one of those things where the the more caught up you are about that, the more you're going to put it off, and the worse the situation is going to get. So, um, when when talking about having the conversation around money, whether it's speaking with a spouse, um, whether it's speaking with children, you have to really unpack and be willing to go and unpack like. What are we doing with our money? Where is it going? Why is it going there? How can we modify our behavior? Because at the end of the day, that's what it's all about is what are you doing with your
0: money? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so being able to have those conversations, like you said, the sooner the better helps to not end up maybe as that older person who then has to have probably what's even a, a tougher conversation about making up for lost time when it comes to money and resources that they might need when they hit a certain age right yeah Yeah, so talk to us a little bit just about generational wealth and what do you see so in the industry that you're in i know you work with folks probably in all sort of tax brackets and um you know like you even talked about some of the cultural stigmas that exist around money and so um what we we notice you know that there are certain like cultural communities that definitely are sort of behind the game on like generational wealth building for, you know, historical reasons and, and otherwise social reasons. But what does that even look like for the work that you do? Like, what do, where do you, what do you see and what do you see areas that maybe really still need a lot of work? Um, so there, there is definitely a, a strong, um, a strong
1: cultural association between how people view generational wealth um, and how they go about trying to achieve it. And, and you touched on the historical the historical aspect, so of course neither of us are, are um, shy to talk about it, but quite frankly in the black community, a lot of opportunity to build generational wealth was stolen, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So, um, that looms pretty heavily around the black community and money and I've learned that um, in a much more concrete way working in the field in the profession um, now I would say about 85% of my clients are black mm-hmm. um, and the conversations just tend to be a little bit different the, the, the understanding for the most part is actually not that different mm-hmm. but Um, typically when I'm working with someone from another culture they may be on their second or third or fourth or fifth generation of similar type of planning and so the change in behavior to start the planning Mm -hmm. is not extreme and uncomfortable for them because they've seen it done before And they believe in the process of that planning because they've witnessed it, experienced the benefits of it. Um, And in the black community, in a lot of cases, that's just not, it's not been the experience. Um, And so there's, and then there's also this, this, um, I don't even know how to describe it. I guess it might be, and and, um, it's, it's it's an outlook, but I've had people tell me, know straight up i'm i'm not trying to you know i don't want i don't want anyone being rich off of my death Mm -hmm. i don't you know what i mean
0: yeah Um, yeah conversations around life insurance tend to tend to have that type
1: of um that type of of bend to them um but even beyond life insurance just just wealth accumulated i've had people who have accumulated wealth and and um are, you know, near retirement and have enough money to both live out their life very comfortably and leave money behind, but they have this sort of, uh, they've got a a very bad taste in their mouth about leaving money to people behind them. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, I mean, and that's a choice, you know what I mean? Um, I'm sure there are a myriad of reasons why they may feel that way, but unfortunately I do find that more in the black community. And I say, unfortunately, because one of the prime reasons that I do what I do is because of the racial wealth gap. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and I want to do my part in closing that. And, and when we have that conversation about generational wealth, um, you know, for example, white families are five to seven times more likely to receive an inheritance. Um, And that is one of the largest areas and opportunity gaps that exist. In that quite frankly, when we pass away as African Americans, we are not leaving behind um, any type of legacy benefit. And when we do, it's not on the same scale, of course. And so it's, it's an area that I think has a lot of factors and a lot of reasons as to why, um, from from policy and legislation through history to quite frankly private private practice and financial institutions not doing right by the black community and mm-hmm. so I think um, I think there's definitely remnants of resentment and mistrust between the black community and financial institutions and I think that's valid and it's something that um, you know we that, that we have to sort of wrestle with yeah. to figure out how, you know how do we still leverage some of these best practices for building wealth and legacy that other communities have
0: been taking advantage for for many generations. Mm-hmm. So we really have we have to play a catch-up game, kind of. And yep. you know that's really what you probably spend every day doing, <laughs> um, to an extent, like trying to help folks kind of figure that out, rebuild sort of that trust with like you said, financial communities and institutions and um, then help them to, you know, come up with plans that can at least start that first generation of thinking about money just in a different way so that um, we can start to shift the culture back to folks being able to think about this again sooner rather than later, like we were talking about. So I think that that's great insight because a lot of times folks don't make that connection Um with, you know, history and with sort of um, issues that we've seen in the past that have come up with sort of financial management, but also just talking about money. Um, and it's it's played a critical role in the state that many of us, particularly those of us in the black community, find ourselves in um, trying to like dig ourselves out of a hole, basically, because of what's been Taught to us, or maybe not taught to us, about managing money in the first place. Absolutely, absolutely. So obviously, the Emerald Couch is about linking other life areas to mental health, and so financial wellness is no different. We actually had a whole episode dedicated to different forms of well-being, and financial wellness was one of them. And so I'm curious to know, like in your the work that you do every day. Do you see, oh, I guess a connection, or do you see mental health playing a role in somebody's overall well-being when it comes to financial wellness? Like, do you see that um, from your perspective ever playing a part?
1: I, I do. I think. Um, I think uncertainty around finances can lead to a lot of anxiety issues. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I'm not in, in your field, and I'm not a doctor, and I'm not looking to diagnose. Mm-hmm. Um, but. Um, Uncertainty around finances can cause strain on personal relationships. Um, a, a lack of, a lack of clarity and being able to communicate openly and confidently can literally rip families apart. And I'm not just talking, um, I'm not just talking about husband and wife. I'm talking about siblings. I'm talking about parent and children relationships, especially what one of the things to, to consider. So, um, since, since 2010, about, about 10,000 baby boomers are turning 65 every day, oh, wow. uh, and that'll continue happening uh, for about another eight or nine years. Yeah. And the reason that's significant is that it is the, the largest population in U.S. history, the baby boomers, mm-hmm. um, and they are continuing to age rapidly. And they are also living longer than than people have lived in in history past. Mm-hmm. And, and the reason that's significant is there there are financial implications to that. And a lot of a lot of that population are um, are parents and grandparents who are going to become financial burdens to their children. And their financial burdens to children that can put a strain on that child's household and their marriage and their ho- and their household finances mm-hmm. um and so having open and honest conversations about finances understanding what what will we do if fill in the blank mm-hmm. you know what will what will we do if one of us passes away too soon what will we do if one of our parents has um, a need for extended care in in a nursing home, or we need to be able to bring someone into the home to take care of them, or one of us needs to stop working in order to take care of them. Um, those conversations, unfortunately, are not had often enough, um, but when they, when they aren't prepared for, the financial implications can lead to a myriad of other issues that are really difficult to rebound from. Um, and, and I'm sure, as as you know,
0: family turmoil can be a huge stressor for, for mental health. Yeah. It just, I think, you know, gets overlooked how much, like you said, and you made excellent points around some of the things that are just everyday scenarios. And, yeah, of course, we don't want them to happen. We don't want a spouse to die, you know, sooner than we expect. We don't want... Um, a parent's health to suddenly decline or a terminal illness to be a part of our family system and, and have to, you know, sort of shift gears. But it makes a huge difference in how the stress that naturally comes with those type of scenarios are handled when maybe you've made some preparations or, like you said, had some early conversations of just the what ifs and what would we do so that it's not this huge blow to your overall well-being and your mental health. Because again, it's a stressful situation. So you expect to have to, you know, experience a little stress to to make the changes. But it's totally different when it feels like you're caught off guard. That can even be maybe maybe traumatic for people. Absolutely. And and,
1: and I think a, an important point is a lot of the things that we're talking about, um, right now are things that people don't necessarily consider financial. Mm-hmm. Uh, they don't consider them to be financial considerations. Um, until, of course, it's time to pay for
2: something. Mm-hmm. And,
1: um, and and so that's that's why it's important to understand that that, that risk management piece of, of financial planning is really the cornerstone because without it, everything else will go sideways. It doesn't matter how much money you've saved um, or, or have invested if your household is run on run based on two incomes
2: and one of the incomes goes away,
1: right? That that money that you saved is going to be depleted very quickly. Yeah. Um, it doesn't matter how much you saved if if um, you have a parent who goes into an extended care situation, which on average is about six thousand dollars a month, and that six thousand dollars a month, those instances tend to last between three and four years so so you suddenly spent $72,000 a year over three, that's a full salary for mm-hmm. a lot of people and more than a full salary for a lot of people on taking care of an, of an elderly parent or grandparent mm-hmm. and so those things aren't considered by a lot of people as financial considerations um, but they they very much need to be taken into consideration
0: yeah I definitely think that you know, like you said, people don't make the connection between all of those things you mentioned actually being financial or money type issues until they're in the moment and they have to write a check or, you know, they have to swipe their their credit card for care for, you know, an elderly family member or a funeral or, you know, those sort of things. But before that, they just don't even view it as being a financial matter And I, I love that you pointed that out Because I don't necessarily know that Most of us think in that way And that's a part of sort of that shift You were talking about that kind of has to happen So that people aren't as Caught off guard and can at least Make some preparations For the unexpected So last question, maybe the most important, obviously, I can't let you drop all these gems and then people don't know how to reach you or know how they can maybe ask further questions, because I'm sure just like me, and I've known you literally for like 15 years. um, I've learned a ton in this conversation. And I think it's important, you know, that people kind of know, do they need to be already in a certain like tax bracket to start this conversation with someone like you? Or, you know, are there certain things they need to know ahead of time to start thinking about gaining control of their finances and beginning sort of that financial planning and wealth building piece? And then, of course, how do they reach you if they want to get back on track? Sure. So
1: um, you can reach me through my website at adamtolliver.com or you can give me a call at 404-210-9311. And the, the big thing to consider when you are looking to start this journey and potentially talk through a professional is to know that there are a lot of different avenues for you to take in order to do that. Um, Some places will require you to have a certain amount of investable assets. And so that's gonna be places like Charles Schwab or Edward Jones and I think that's what a lot of people think of when they think about getting professional help um, as you know, and when they're when they're when they're thinking about it and they're like, Well, I don't have, you know, five hundred thousand dollars
2: to invest, so there's no one to work with me and that's just not true. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you wanna look for someone
1: who has maybe worked with another person that you trust. So ask people in your in your close friend group and if you feel like no one in your friend group or your support system, your family group has started that journey, talk to someone that you Think may have talked to maybe a co-worker or um, or something like that to see if they have recommendations because you want to work with someone that you trust mm-hmm. right yeah that's critically important you mentioned earlier you know sitting down with a stranger to divulge personal information um, it can be very very uncomfortable and intimidating so you want to work with someone that you can trust you want to understand their process So ask them, you know, how do you come to the conclusion about what types of recommendations you make? And if they can't clearly articulate and take you through a process, that's probably a sign that they aren't the type of person that you want to work with. Um, And then understand, are they someone who charges fees for planning? Because not everyone does, a lot of people do. And for some people that's important. Some people want to pay a fee because they feel like they can trust the recommendation better. Um, And so, you know, but, it's not necessary and I know some people heard that and they're like no nah, I'm good I don't I don't want to pay anybody to you know? <laughs> so so it, it really it really just depends but but all of that exists and all of those options are available and the big thing is you may have to kick a few tires um to decide and and I think it's important because the conversations that you have or don't have and the actions that you do or don't take will impact your family for generations to come mm-hmm. that's not that's not, um, that's not an opinion. It's just a fact. Your action or inaction is going to have a ripple effect throughout time. And so that's both later in your life and later in the life of, of the people that you bring into this world. And so it's important to go through that process, however annoying you might feel it is. Um, it, it is 100% necessary, and I think the best place to start is with sources that you can trust that have some sort of social um social connectivity and accountability um, because typically if if someone's client has recommended you they don't want to lose two clients by messing up with one does mm-hmm. that make
0: sense yeah that definitely makes sense so
1: that's that would be my my advice and mm-hmm. and I, um I just I want to encourage encourage people to to do what you can and also work with someone who is open and comfortable and confident enough to be transparent and encourage you to educate yourself so that you can be more equipped in the conversations that you have with
0: them. Yeah, I think that that's been, for me personally, the best part about working with you for myself in this way has been not only, you know, the sound advice that you've given in general to help me think about this differently, but also... Sometimes, like the homework, you know, to go and kind of check out and to look at, and just so that you just become more knowledgeable about finances in general, which then obviously makes you more comfortable with having conversations and feeling, I guess, freer to be able to do more of the things that really um, would benefit an individual or a family, you know, from sort of looking at their finances in a different way than they have, particularly if it's something that they've been doing that it doesn't work or it doesn't build wealth for them you know at some point you do have to make that decision like you said to do something different because no matter what your action or inaction will end up affecting you and then obviously the generations that come behind you so i think that's amazing well i'm I'm really glad that you said that lakita because that that is one of my goals
1: for my clients is i want to create more um financially aware and confident people Mm -hmm. um um, in our community and outside of our community, I think it, it makes a big difference in in the way that you sort of move through life when you know that there's a rhyme or reason to what you're doing with your money and you feel a little bit better. Um, even just just going through everyday life and if an emergency comes up, a financial emergency, you're not freaking out because you know there's a plan or a system in place. Mm-hmm. This, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, that type of I think... Going back to the link to mental health, I think it just provides a little bit more security. And I don't think anyone ever feels 100% secure, but I do think
0: that there's a lot of things that we can do that are within our control to help us get there. Yeah, I agree. And I definitely think that starts with just being able, like you said, to be knowledgeable and have a conversation with a professional that you can trust. If you can start there, you know, you've already taken probably what may be the initial hardest step is just getting to that that moment where you make that call or send that email to be able to connect with someone who can help make you more knowledgeable and then help you think of a plan that works for you and your family yes, ma'am. well i guess right here we'll take a little break adam you're gonna stick around right for these last two parts of our show just to answer some questions i know you have a, a book recommendation as well and i want you to share maybe why in a second so you got a few minutes still stick around yes ma'am i'm in it all right well we're gonna take a break right there folks and we will be right back Hey folks so we are back um, we have our last two segments of the show our signature segments our first being our pop psych moment of the week so of course this is where we link our mental health topics in some form to what's going on in pop culture um, and also to psychology in general and sort of thinking about this in, in that realm but also applying it to our own lives and so I, I don't necessarily know that any conversations this week Um, Are happening that don't somehow Particularly if they're around mental health um, Have been either circling back To the recent suicide By Kate Spade But also even as of today Anthony Bourdain Who's a noted um, chef, storyteller Writer, TV host All that committed suicide as well And so details around both are obviously Still coming out and being Explored but definitely a, A topic that I think kind of fitting with our theme of talking about taboo things. A lot of people don't want to talk about mental health, particularly when it leads to suicidality. Um, It's just something that scares people. And I think there's a lot of misconceptions, obviously, around um, what we've been talking about today, sort of this intersection between wealth and happiness and the assumption that Because somebody has perceived success, you know, money, so financially they seem taken care of, that they should be carefree and and not have worries. And so, of course, we know that that's, that's not true. Um, And because of that stigma, then a barrier sort of gets created between high profile people seeking support um, in any form. So not only mental health support, but in a second, I'm going to ask Mr. Tolliver about like financial support as well. And so the blaming and the shaming that happens around suicide really pushes people away from finding support to maybe address the underlying issue that, has them feeling that you know taking their life is is sort of their only option remaining, and so being able to make sure that we bring attention to that in this week's notes, I will obviously list a ton of resources um, and support lines for folks who maybe aren't ready quite yet to talk with someone in person, um, but giving you a resource that if you need a place to talk, 24 hours a day, there are tons of resources out there and. Um, I definitely don't want anyone listening to this show to not think um, that there are other options. And so being able to obviously both acknowledge and send support and care and love to the families of both Kate Spade and Anthony Bourdain um, in their loss and also for all of us. Um, to be able to think differently about how we take care of ourselves and how we address concerns as they come up. So Adam, can you talk with us a little bit in thinking about that topic? You know, obviously, you work with folks in all different um, sort of stages of their financial wealth building. And obviously, many of us are in like different pay brackets and tax brackets. And so how does something like you know, finances obviously is it's totally not um, a representation of somebody's mental state, but sometimes it is a part of someone's maybe demise ultimately if, if finances becomes an issue. So where do you see that happening maybe with like higher profile or people sort of in the upper echelons of like a social class um, money playing a part in, in maybe the decline of their mental health and well-being? So, so this is a very interesting topic and I think
1: it's important because um, it, it, it holds especially true for people who were not necessarily born into money um, who acquire wealth. Um, they, there tends to be a great sense of responsibility but also isolation from, um, so responsibility for the people that um, are in their lives who don't have as much and isolation from them um, it can create divides as far as mistrust um, and a feeling of maybe being used and things like that but the pressures of, of wealth um, can be a lot for people to handle and, and, and I don't think people necessarily um, look at it that way and I know how cliche it is to, to say that money does not buy happiness um, I don't want to I don't want to um, say that flippantly because I think most people can understand and agree that um, you'd most likely rather be in a position where you're financially well-off than not. Um, But I think what happens for a lot of wealthy people is that they find that the things that they were unhappy about were not so tied to money once they actually have it. And so it sort of highlights the importance of having Um, those other areas of wellness and check that you talked about and you talked about in your previous episode um, financial wellness is great but it does not make you completely whole Mm -hmm. by any stretch of the imagination and quite frankly the pressures that come with having money do exist and so there are things that can affect things about having money and the responsibility of what you did to achieve and attain that um, can have an, an impact on your mental health. Mm-hmm. Um, one, one thing, and when we talk about uh, my book recommendation, it, it'll it'll touch on this a little, but there's, there's a concept called the hedonic treadmill. Um, sometimes people refer to it as golden handcuffs, but a lot of times what happens is as people attain money or they attain more of anything, they become bored with what they've already gotten. Mm. And they are always pursuing the next. And so there, it's like they're on a hamster wheel, essentially always chasing more of what they already have and that pressure. And any time that that's even slightly disturbed, a sense of panic and anxiety can set in. Um, and so that's that's what I mean when I talk about some of the pressures of, of wealth. Um, and I call it golden handcuffs because that that is really akin to um, you you have done something to earn a lot of money, but you also moved your lifestyle up and your spending up in a way that requires you to have to keep earning that money. Um, and if you don't, then the life that you built for yourself will fall apart because you are you are living. So up to the limit in your means yeah. that you still have the same stresses of someone being broke. So I would, I would, I would say, think about it like if you if you make fifty thousand dollars a year and you spend sixty thousand dollars a year, you're broke. Mm-hmm. If you make five hundred thousand dollars a year and you spend six hundred thousand dollars a year, you're broke. Mm-hmm. If you make five million dollars a year and you spend six million dollars a year, you are broke. And so. Um, that when I say golden handcuffs, that's what I mean. They're still handcuffs. They're just fancy. So if, if if your lifestyle and your habits that you build are not within your means, whatever those means are, that pressure can be immense. And quite frankly, the bigger the numbers are, the bigger the pressure is. So um, so I think that that plays a large role. And that of course we're we're not we're not speaking directly to the situation of Kate Spade or Anthony Bourdain. Just speaking in general of how the assumption that making more money or having more money makes you immune to um, the every day you it doesn't make you inhuman right so mm-hmm. you're still you're still susceptible to the the same types of, um, of stressors and and sources of anxiety and you still need healthy relationships with yourself and with the people around you um, so that all of that plays a factor
0: yeah definitely. You know i think everything that you just said is so true and definitely tangible ways of looking at um people again their idea around that i love like like you said they're still handcuffs but they're fancy um this idea that you still are bound um you know to money in a in a negative way because you're spending more than what you really have or what you really make And so while you may be able to Afford um, A lavish lifestyle Or an appearance of a lavish lifestyle If you're spending Exactly what you take in or more than what you take in Then that's no Different than someone who's only making $30,000 a year um, Right. You know that, that I think people need to hear that um, To recognize that it's not about You know how much you're taking in And it definitely makes me think of other celebrities particularly like you know we've talked to, about some of the cultural differences and obviously and like we're talking about pop culture too but like racial differences and some of you know we have pop culture hip hop culture where like the new cars and the jewelry and the all of that and it's like it's fancy and it looks great and um you know the hope is from the things that entertainers are doing that they're bringing in money but how much of that is also like going out and being, ex, you know, expenditures as well. So uh-huh. um, I think that's important for people to hear, because I do think, again, many of us, maybe the regular folks like us get wrapped up looking at some celebrities thinking they have it all and they have it all together. And we're like working tirelessly to maybe achieve that when, in essence, we're not necessarily sure that they really have it any better than us when it comes to, you um, their spending habits and what actually their input versus output is. So I think that's like an amazing um, example for sure. And obviously, in the midst of tragedy like this, it's difficult for people sometimes to remember that because their immediate thought is, well, they both were so successful. They both were so, you know, loved by the world for what they did. And um, why would anyone feel sad about that when, in essence, You just never know what what people truly have as far as their resources
1: absolutely and i I, you you brought up a great point um that i I also want to expound on and clarify because i think there's a there's a common misconception that culturally um that that black people spend more or are more reckless or more frivolous with the money that they earn um I think that perception exists for a reason, but I also want to um, point out that the difference is not as as big or it's actually kind of negligible as far as what's spent. Mm-hmm. The difference um, between cultures, it's what's affordable. Mm-hmm. Um, and there, there absolutely is um, a cultural value placed on the look of wealth, um, but unfortunately, there is a a misconception about what and when something is affordable and that ends up being the difference so um just just a, a very a very lazy offhand example um uh, that I think people might understand but if you if you have a hundred thousand dollars you can't afford something that costs a hundred thousand right. dollars you know what I mean right um and and that um that is one of the one of the big things that I think is a misconception is that you know black people spend 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 well the, the reality is that Americans tend to spend 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 right um, and there's a there's a, a savings and accumulation crisis nationwide um, among all demographics the, the difference is that in the black community because of um, mostly historical, Reasons that we touched on earlier um, where, quite frankly, the ability to accumulate wealth was attacked. Mm-hmm. Black people don't have the same type of buffers and safety nets around them in life to recover when they falter financially. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't have the type of support system of other people with wealth around them to help them when they suffer. They don't have the type of accumulated generational assets to be a safety net and so that's where the disparity tends to actually really take off in an exponential way so it's not it's not linear it's like if if um and there i I say this and i did not mean to take this in a sociological direction but i might actually have two book recommendations now for this reason Mm um but an example would be you know if if um if, an, if the average black woman and average white woman both graduate from the same degree program and they get uh, very similar jobs, paying similar amounts of money in the same city, um, chances are five years from now that the white woman will be better off financially. And this is even if they have the same savings habits. And one of the reasons for that is the white woman's support system on average is going to be able to help her more financially um, than the black woman's. And um, that's something that I I don't want to um, extend extend your episode out for no, another 45 minutes. But, <laughs> <You are fine. laughs> but that's, that's something that people don't necessarily consider or account for when they think about wealth accumulation is if you are, for instance, the only person in your family with an advanced degree with with a, um, a high salary, you are likely being asked or pulled in different directions with your money to help other people who don't have it like you do.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Whereas if you're one of or five siblings or eight or ten cousins who are all earning the same type of money and your parents don't need anything from you financially in
2: fact they're more likely to be gifting things to you financially mm-hmm. even though you don't really need them mm-hmm.
1: that makes a tremendous difference on where people end up so Ooh, um, I said all that to say when we're thinking about what's affordable and what things cost and well can I afford this BMW can I buy this can I buy that a lot of those factors, it's not that you're spending any more than your counterpart will. It's just that your counterpart probably has support in places that you do not.
0: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. That makes so much sense. I mean, I, I don't necessarily know that people think about it in terms of affordability versus like having... You know, like two people I, say I got, I got the number that's on the price tag Yes, you know? exactly, yeah. they're like, we both have this amount Saved in the bank, so just like them, I could get it But also, can you afford the upkeep Of that item, or, you know, whatever right. Comes with that, it's just It's important, so I agree, I, I, I love that Example, because again, I do think Certain communities get Kind of a bad rap for like Always just spending up their money Versus being able to say, well But can they afford it, and if they can, then You know, what's what's it to spend? Obviously, you hope they're saving as well. But like, it's not the same as somebody spending up all their money and there's nothing else left in the bank to maintain that that lifestyle or that item or whatever it is. Right. Yeah, that definitely makes sense. Well, that's perfect because it does lead us right into our last segment, which is the Small Talk Bookshelf, where we share um, favorites. So I usually am sharing my favorites, but obviously because my dear friend is here and he is the expert um, for sure around this topic, um, I wanted to give him a chance to share um, some of his favorites. So I know, Adam, you told me about one book, Thomas Stanley, The Millionaire Next Door. Um, So tell us about it. But then you said another one when you were just talking a few seconds ago may have popped up for you. So tell us about those and why they might be good for folks to add to their bookshelves.
1: So the millionaire next door is great because Thomas Stanley built his career um studying everyday millionaires. So um when I say studying I mean he studied uh, their habits, their professions, um their spending habits, their savings habits, their associations who they work with as professionals all of all of that information is shared in this book it is um, it is partially academic um, i would say about 50/50 academic and storytelling because he really is giving examples of real life people um, from high paid professionals like doctors and attorneys mm-hmm. to small business owners and mainly pointing out the difference between people who accumulate wealth and people who earn high incomes, um, because they're not always synonymous. And that goes back to what we were just talking about, about what you spend and what you make and the relationship between the two and how you can get the most out of your money. Um, so I like it a lot because it's a, I think I would describe that book as a paradigm shift for most people who end up reading it. And I'm sure a lot of people who are listening have probably either heard of it or already read it. Um, But it's also one of those books that I recommend people revisit from time to time. Mm -hmm. So that's that one. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the other book, which takes a bit more of a sociological um, angle, is called The Hidden Cost of Being African American. Mm
2: -hmm. And that's written by Thomas Shapiro and um,
1: Thomas Shapiro is an academic who focuses on um, wealth inequality. Uh, it's causes historically and present in present day context, contemporary context, as well as how those macro forces impact the everyday lives of people with tangible examples like the one I shared earlier about Mm -hmm. two people of different races graduating with the same education with the same salary in the same city um so it's a it's a very insightful um very insightful book and I think a lot of people will will get a lot of value out of reading that
0: yeah definitely sounds like two great recommendations to give um similar perspectives but also you know Especially the second one around the hidden cost of being African American for certain groups having a better understanding not only if you belong to that group, but also outside of that group to be able to just have some insight into what that experience is like. and i I love both of those. And so obviously, to my listeners, I'll make sure that I include links to both of those maybe through Amazon in case you are interested. Um, and picking them up, and obviously, I do hope that those of you who are listening have also now put a little bit of maybe your fear to the side, just by being able to have this conversation openly that we've had today. I obviously want to thank um, my wonderful guest and friend, Mr. Adam Tolliver, for his time and you know, being able to share some of his knowledge and the work that he does with us. So obviously, Adam's information will also be in the show's notes and on our website so that if you are interested in just having a follow up to this conversation um, and are ready to maybe start making some steps towards your own financial freedom and wealth building um, to do it with a professional that now that you all I think now you know a little bit more. So being able to again, talk with somebody that you trust. So thank you guys so much again for listening in every week. We're still working through the month of June. So we still have more interviews, more mental health topics. We're still celebrating Men's Health Month. Father's Day is coming up. So we got a lot still to talk about. So I hope that you guys will Tune in next week. Make sure that you've liked, followed, and subscribed. And submit questions if you would like to the Ask Dr. LP segment. And even if you have questions for Adam, I will make sure that obviously he gets those. And we can still maybe answer them on air. But I will get his answers from him because, again, he's an expert, not me. Um, But please send them in if you have anything. And I look forward to chatting with all of you again next week.